Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today, I have Ivy Shen. She has worked in cross-border e-commerce right from when it first started in 2014, and she's been with Azoya since the beginning. She's worked with international retailers and brands on their cross-border marketing strategy and commercial execution. So I'm really excited to have Ivy here today. She's a wealth of knowledge on cross-border e-commerce into China. Thank you so much for joining me, Ivy. Yeah, hello, Ali. Thanks for uh, a lot for having me as well. It's a big pleasure. No worries. So I think the first question is, as you've been in the, there are very few people that have been in cross-border e-commerce since the very beginning. So what, I guess, are some of the biggest surprises that you've seen with the development of cross-border e-commerce? And also, where do you think it's headed? Yes, I think we, we started like even before Timogo went uh, Kaola. And then so uh, we see like, the, I, I would say the biggest surprise is how rapidly the, the market uh, is, has been evolving and changing because that also related to who, which, which client and which uh, retail and brands that we work with and what, in what kind of way, what kind of solution. For example, on, on the market player sides, um, definitely there are more and more players like marketplaces, sales channels, also like social commerce are going into the markets. Mm. Um, and, and so it's, it's uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, platforms are doing cross-border nowadays. And then also on the market demand, demand side from the consumer point of view, uh, in the very beginning, it's really much about mom and baby. It ha- this is how it started. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it gradually evolved to like, nutrition products uh, from Australia and from Europe. And then uh, to the beauty, such a big boom on the, on the beauty area side. And then I think in recent uh, one year or something, also like going to like the sports fashion streetwear, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so how, how people are demanding uh, changing, this is also very fascinating. Um, and also, I think on the on the supply side, which means like, for example, like the infrastructure. So how good the experience that you can get right now with the cross border is pretty much the same level as domestic uh, shopping. So if you get it from Bombay warehouse, um, and yeah. and so um, with so many different brands getting into China via this kind of a way because it's quicker, it's lower barrier. Um, and also that also creates a lot of com- competition, definitely. And I think um, specifically, I think for, for the beauty industry, um, it's actually the, the cross-border booming and also the indie beauty brand booming globally and the D2C brands are very mutually benef- beneficial because mm. um, otherwise, you know, without cross-border, they cannot go into China so quickly. And without those brands, the cross-border shopping cannot be so interesting to customers in China. Yeah. 
And so it's really, really yeah. supporting each other. And this, this is, I think, is uh, something that we, we could, could not have seen in the very beginning. Um, yeah, no, totally. That's so true. That's so true. Because, of course, as you said, in the beginning, it was really about people finding things that they couldn't get. And it was from a safety perspective, right? Like there was the baby powder, all that sort of stuff. And then now it's still about what people can't get. And, you know, people are still going on to through VPN, people still go onto Instagram, they look at what what hot brands are in the US or, or Europe or Australia, and then they try and find them in China. And, and that's where obviously the Daigo aspect comes into that. But then now with these official channels, it makes it much more, the experience so much better. And you touched on bonded warehouses and, you know, bonded warehouses mean that customers can have the product in, you know, a couple of days, right? Or even quicker sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, next day sometimes. And so that's why I think it's going to be like getting more and more sort of normal. So it's just normal shopping. So the, the line between cross-border and non-cross-border will uh, become very big. So people just going mm -hmm. after they are buying and instead of saying that, oh, this is just specifically for cross-border or not. And so it's, it will be within people's like daily life. And then, mm. um, and then I think also the, the government policy will be getting like also continue to be uh, supportive because in China, you know, the, the exporting volume is just so big, but uh, it's, it's not like really the best case for the country. And so they also want to get more on the importing side. Oh. And then it's a, this is a good, um, one of the good ways for them to support that. So mm. In this case, so that I think there will be more brands, uh, even more brands to to go into China with these channels. And uh, but um, very like uh, realistically, like I think there could be smaller, like lower percentage of brand that will really get uh, to be successful <laughs> because the competition, everything. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's something, you know. Obviously, we've seen the rise of sea beauty in the last two years. There's massive, especially in color cosmetics, but also in, in skincare and some other categories. So how do you feel that, um, the, what's the situation do you feel for international brands now? You know, like Azoya, you work with Feel Unique, you work, and you work with lots of different individual brands. So how do you, how do you feel a new international brand coming in now how where's the opportunity for them i think from from our side because we work with like both brands and multiple uh, and multi-brand retailers so we have uh we have eyes on very big range of brands mm. and products and we still think uh there are very high demand for international brands from from the china consumer mm. side especially for example on uh high-end skincare brands um the the fragrance perfume and also like something like the inner beauty brand etc um, so typically the, the brands or category that's um, uh, require you to have very unique or strong capability on the functional value. So for example, the how you develop these products, the technology of the manufacturer, this actually takes like not you know more than a decade to develop that. This is not something that you can catch up just within five years. Um, and then also uh, if you have a strong emotional value which means like, uh, for example, the perfume category is very typical one. So, so people, a lot of them, they're buying on the story, they're buying on the contents and uh, the emotional things that the brand is expressing instead of you know, just, just the function yeah. of 
of their products. So, so I think this, this two side, because it takes very long time for, for a brand to really understand and develop and you know, also related to the infrastructure, et cetera. So um, the international brands still are very, uh, I think are more like stronger on this, this point. And for those category that's like I mentioned that they are uh, customer is still looking for a lot of uh, international brands. Um, yeah. But on, I, think, yeah. I think the C beauty brands, they are um, kind of a, it doesn't mean like Chinese consumer, they just want China brands. So it's not about like China, but in a deeper level, if we think about it, um, I think there's two indications. The first one is um, customer in China, they, they are taking more like weights uh, on the emotional value when it when they consider buying something. So so the Chinese brands, they are uh, like the contents uh, marketing around they're doing is um, they express a lot of emotional value, which is which is related to you know uh, to love the country a lot of that that kind of Chinese culture that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But actually, mm -hmm. customer they are they really think that the, the emotional value that they are expressing are, are we think align with the one that customer they want. So so which means actually for um, international brands it's also very important even in the very early stage to um, to sort of promote the brand's emotional value, like the brand culture, those kind of things to, to consumer. Uh, and, and I think that will be, uh, for them, there will be suitable customer that's they're really buying the idea. Um, mm -hmm. And then on the other side is also the Chinese brands are very Chinese consumer centrals. So, so the product they develop, the, the packagings, uh, the messages mm -hmm. are very just, for Chinese consumers. And then mm -hmm. also they are very um, more flexible on, on the manufacturer or on the new product development sites. And I think this is also like a take indicating for international brands that that's, you should have this level of um, like focus and also have this level of uh, flexibility on, on the product side. So it's not about having all your catalogs, you know, in, in the West not, or take that to, to China, but this is sometimes you have to be more uh, China-lized. <laughs> mm. No, totally, totally. And I think there's, well, there's so many things in that, but the couple of things that, that stand out are this idea, it's gone a sort of full circle. So for about 10 to five to 10 years ago, international brands were really talking about their heritage in China. It was They were all pushing heritage. And we, these are bigger brands, right? Like these are the Chanel's, the L'Oreal. They're really talking about their heritage. And that gave them a good foundation. But then the Chinese consumer was really into the efficacy part and the, the effectiveness. So then that the science part really kicked in. And it's interesting that you're now talking about really getting brands to emphasize the emotional aspects, because I think that's something that gets lost. We often talk about, you know, the Chinese consumer wanting to know the facts about the brand, the, um, the way things are made, you know, proving quality and proving expertise. But that emotional side, I think international brands do it naturally in their home market but maybe have, are not doing it so well in China. And I think that's a really good, um, yeah. that's a really good point that brand should, should think about um, because it's, it's important um, to connect long-term with the consumer. And, and the, the idea with, with Chinese brands of, uh, they obviously have the expertise, they're obviously in the market, they're all, you know, everyone running the brand is Chinese, they have a huge advantage in terms of, in terms of the localizing and understanding. But 
international brands having putting China higher up on the priority list and really, you know, China will be the biggest market for beauty in the next couple of years, right? Like it's nearly there. So I think a lot of the indie brands that will listen to this and that I work with, they sort of take baby steps to come in. And of course they won't, most of them are not flexible enough to develop something for China to start with. But I think your point about really listening to the consumer because they do it in the West. D2C brands, you know, they have a lot of feedback from the consumer. So I think because of the way that brands are operated, especially cross-border in China, it's quite far away. The brand is quite far away from the consumer because they have the TP, they have these layers and they don't understand the language directly. So the founder who's on Instagram every night looking at what people are saying about them in the US, they can't do that in China, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there is that um, bridge that brands really need help with. And, and I think they should totally be thinking about developing products for China and, and listening really to the Chinese consumer. It's so important. Yeah, I think customers are very demanding also being more specific on their, on their demand. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's also changed, right? Like things really wanting international brands to prove that the products work for Asian skin or Chinese, you know, hair or, you know, all these things that there needs to be. And that's why Japan, Japanese and Korean brands have done very well in many ways in China, right? Because, because of that proximity um, to, the, to the market. But uh, yeah, I think Western brands need to listen better. Definitely, definitely true. Um, Another thing that's a really big part of it, obviously when brands, beauty brands come in for cross-border e-commerce, the majority of brands will go on Timor Global. You know, that's been the sort of route to market, but things are shaking up a little bit there. You know, Douyin with their, their e-commerce. And of course, you know, there are lots of other channels and private traffic is something that's um, getting a lot more attention now. How do you see the development of cross-border e-commerce in terms of platforms? Um, I think it's really expanding, for example, um, in this year that's yeah, Douyin launched the cross-border um, and Kaishou also, also launched cross-border. And then uh, I know like VIP.com, they, they used to just, just do like the buy and sell model, but right now they also mm. open for, to, to, for, for the brands to do the, uh, the pop model, like the marketplace mm. model. Um, mm. And then recently uh, we are also talking with uh, Meituan for mm -hmm. they are also they actually already opened uh, on the main times uh, on the on the uh, nutrition on the OTC part like on the medicine parts. That's all, they okay. already started cross border and they want to expand that. Um, so so Meituan is not a typical like like e-commerce platform. It's, it's you know it's, it's for the daily life and then so so you can see this is um, um, like amusing to a lot of different places the cross border shopping. And then so customer, they, uh, where they shop also like shifting from uh, Alibaba to multiple platforms. And uh, mm. I think it will continue on this way. Um, and then in, in generally, like in um, the whole e-commerce, like if we just not look at a cross border, but in generally, the, the WeChat is de definitely taking like one of the biggest momentum on the, on the private traffic side to uh, attract consumer and also uh, for the brands. Because I think, I think for the brands, um, there are like a lot of benefits if they, if they do the private traffic, it's their own customers. So um, for example, we, we see much higher uh, engagement and conversion rates on the, on, the, on the WeChat side, like on the private traffic side, for example, 
within the one-to-one uh, -one communication or within the WeChat groups. Uh, sometimes it's even like 10 times higher than if we just send out the text messages. For example, we want to get people to you know, shop on the campaign. And then um, also the brands, I think especially for a lot of D2C brands, it's very important that they can uh, accumulate a lot of digital assets so that you cannot get uh, from the third-party platforms, uh, especially on the, on the consumer side. Yeah. And then this is really what they're doing in their, in their home, uh, home country, right? And also, I think for the big brands, it's the same because they, they have customers shopping on multiple channels, and, and then, but uh, on WeChat, they can get the most data. Um, and, and then so you can be more personalized on WeChat, you can be more intelligent operating on WeChat. Um, so the data things is, I think, is very, very important. Um, and then also, I think for um, on the WeChat side, one of the points um, is on the marketing side is how, how the brand can influence customers. For example, um, uh, we see like within the, within the WeChat group, which is typically 200 to 500 people. And then the, actually the other consumers, uh, especially the active group, um, group consumers, they are bring a lot of positive value to the to the brands, mm -hmm. and then this mm -hmm. is really if you if we look at like how the marketing changing over the long time. So starting from the advertisement, which is one way communication, and then going to the social media, that's the brand can get like yeah, interaction with uh, consumers, but also mm -hmm. still more official uh, direction. So from a brand perspective. Then going to the influencer like the KOL, which is like a, another is a person is a, another people talking about your brand to the consumer and customer. They are also really buying that because customer they want um, something which is more authentic, not you know not from 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 you that you are selling the products. Yeah. And going mm -hmm. to the KOC and it's also it's also going to more authentic. And I think uh, right now the, the the WeChat like WeChat small community each WeChat group is really the most authentic uh, ways because um, it's, it's small community. So you tend to be have more you know, intimacy with the, with the people in that group. And then so you listen to what they, what they said and then you take value on their words. So, so it's more like very, very authentic uh, way to influence uh, the brand's customers on, on that side. Yeah, and, and now that they've brought back down the walled gardens, it's much easier to get traffic in between the different platforms, right? Because it always, WeChat was always a good place for brands, but it tended to be quite a lot of um, CRM, you know, way to discuss with customers, to, to, but it had a limit because of the way that it, it's not an open platform, you know, it wasn't an open platform. And now that you can um, link out and link back in, and, and I think that's going to really... I think probably WeChat is the biggest winner out of um, the wall yeah. gardens coming down. I don't know what you think, but uh, yeah, yeah. Probably. But I think because uh, private tra traffic, at least for now, is, is, is not for like any new brand that you just, you know, in, in your first step in China, because um, it needs to uh, have your established customer and then you convert them into that community. Because otherwise, if you get new customer on WeChat, it's higher cost than on other channels and then so yeah. i think it's the brand need to look at where which state are they in uh to decide if they should start to go with the private traffic um but for big brands it definitely should be going to their strategy level yeah absolutely absolutely i think there are ways to use it for smaller brands but as you said 
the easiest way is to get the customers in first and, and then and then convert them. Yeah, absolutely. So on that, what are some key trends in the beauty space that you feel consumers, consumers, you feel brands should really take note of? Um, I think we, so for example, on, on the product side, in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the categories, mm. um, fragrance is definitely booming. And, and I think it will continue for many years because the percentage mm. of people use fragrance is still very small. Tiny. And then we see that, uh, we think that small percentage are, you know, the people, they, they are buying more and more niche so they can buy multiple, like, you know, some of mm. them they have 100 perfume and it's going to mm. more and more niche brands. So which means they really need a lot of uh, high variety of brands and long, like not long tail products, you know, but very high, big range of products, not like mm -hmm. skin or something that people are very focusing on the top sellers. And so, mm -hmm. which means more opportunity for, for every single brand on the perfume side. Um, and also I think the personalized beauty is also getting, we're, we're getting more attractions. It's still mm -hmm. very early stage, but it will take time for consumers to understand the value, but also, uh, but I think it will, it will be there in the, in the coming years. And then also, yeah. and then I think on, on the marketing or operation side, um, I see a very big uh, trend, which is um, the brands tend to be more, uh, you, you, you need to be more standing out or to be more bold when you do like, for example, your product name or your packagings, you know, your, your marketing messages or your uh, crossover partnership with any other brands because mm. it's very, it's getting more crowded, the, the market. Mm. And then you really mm. need to be um, very bold and to be, to be unique and standing out to have customers' attention at least, you know, in the, in the beginning. Um, mm. And I think apart from like emotional value and also power traffic we just talked about, the, the D2C is also uh, as a long-term trend in China, um, especially China markets, very um, sophisticated, it's trending so fast. So, so mm. the DC can give you the, the first understanding and data to on, on the market. So you don't, you don't need to understand through multiple layers. And I think this is, um, this is re really going, going to that direction. Yeah, and that's, that's fantastic for brands, right? Like I think um, whilst Timor Global has been amazing in terms of cross-border and some brands have really been very successful, um, mm -hmm. for the majority of the brands it's tricky it's a it's an expensive platform you have to spend a lot of money within the platform you also have to spend a lot of money outside of the platform to drive traffic into the platform um, so I think the D2C model if that can really move forward and take off just gives brands more flexibility in the market and, and I think it's only good for consumers as well to have more touch points and more places that they can purchase yeah. Um, so yeah, it's good. So I guess finally, any advice for these international indie brands that want to come in and sort of thinking about it, but, uh, yeah, what's your main advice you do think? I think if we, if we are talking about like indie brands or brands that new coming into the markets, uh, definitely mm -hmm. they need to be focused in, in the, at least, you know, first two, one or two years 
for example, mm -hmm. focus on one or two, like mostly two uh, sales platform, and also focus on one or two uh, marketing platform as well. Um, even like the big C brands like uh, Perfect Diaries or uh, some of the others, they, they also spend like 60% of their resources on just two, two platforms mm -hmm. marketing. So you, you don't want mm -hmm. to spread your bullets out to many places that you don't, you don't get really a lot of uh, attention. Um, and then, so when you think about which sales platform, I think for, for a lot of indie beauty brands, they are, um, they still, they want to, to do it like in an effective and way. Um, so, so I think Timor, um, still could be the num number one to consider because, um, Timor Global has been the most supportive platform to incubate new brands. I think they are talking yeah. about it a lot. And we also, by action, we know that they are really giving a lot of support on that. Whereas many other platforms, they are really leveraging on the top sellers. They want to cash in by the top sellers. So Timor Global could be the number one uh, consideration. And also uh, Douyin on the other side, which because it's mm. a very different way of shopping. And I think Douyin mm. is taking really the biggest um, momentum on the live streaming mm. uh, e-commerce because there are not just about discounting promotion but also about content and personalized so so you get that uh, personalized push on the live streaming that you will see mm. which is different from from the uh, Taobao side Taobao is very mm. campaign promotion promotion driven so I think mm. the going consider um, it's just like it's because it's still uh, um, evolving quite quickly. So there's no very established pattern for the brand to be sure. successful. So you have to, that would be some risk if you go go down that road. Yeah. Test and, and I, try. I, Test and try. Yeah. Yeah. I think eventually uh, we also talk uh, about it's like, it's, I think it's the, the mindset of the brand that they should have is, is very, very important. So they should be like determined for the China markets. Um, they should be flexible and adaptive because it's, it's such mm. difference. You, you cannot just duplicate the things that you've done in the home, home mm. country. And also um, to be more patient when, when you, you know, on, on the sales side, on, you know, on the investment sides to um, don't expect to have a very, very quick uh, results very quickly. Yeah. yeah, no, I think they're all really good um, pieces of advice. And I, I think the... Um, patience, but at the same time, you need to be able to move fast. So when an opportunity comes up, the brands need to take the commercial, you know, the commercial partner, work with them on those opportunities quickly because things are come and go, you know, so fast and brands that can react will, will inevitably do better than others. But yes, in terms of how long it takes to break even, how long it takes to make a profit, of course, that varies, but you know you need to you need to give yourself in your PNL and and with your your investors etc. You need to make sure that everyone's on board that it's going to take some time because as we've said multiple times today, it's a super competitive market. There's a massive opportunity to win in the market, and there's a huge momentum for indie brands. Consumers really want to discover new brands, great products. Um, and international is still still really desirable. It's not just Chinese brands and it hasn't, you know, sometimes I think you can be, you can feel like that from the outside that the Chinese brands are taking over, but there's still plenty of space for international brands, but it's about yeah. really connecting with the consumer and finding what they want, right? Because I think um, 
if you come in with your Western mindset and your Western marketing plan, et cetera, that's not going to work. I mean, most brands will have different hero excuse in China or something will take off that there's totally unexpected and you just need to be ready to go with that, I think. Yeah, yes. yeah, I think so. Totally agree. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ivy. It was a great chat. There'll be so many things there for people to take away and I'll put your details and Zoya's details below so people can contact you. And yeah, um, yeah great to talk to you. Great, great. Thank you, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.